My name is Fran Stoddard, and you have joined the Community Matters Call on Civic Health. We'll hear about what Civic Health is and some great work being done to improve and build the civic health of cities and towns. And we're coming at this today from a, both a fun and a data-driven approach. So depending on what side of um, that spectrum you come on, we've got something for both, for everybody. Community Matters Calls are brought to you by the Orton Family Foundation. They are an ongoing series designed to help people and their communities take charge of their futures. Our speakers today are Evan Weissman. He's the executive director of Warm Cookies of the Revolution, the world's first civic health club based in Denver, Colorado, and Emily Keeney from the Center for Community Engagement at Missouri State University. Welcome, Emily and Evan. Thank you. All right. Great. They're both there. So we'll hear about their projects in a minute and then challenge them with your questions from the Google Doc. First, we'll review a few logistics. We have more than 120 registrants today, so we'll be putting all of you on mute. You are currently on mute. Later in the call, I might ask someone from our audience to join the conversation with your question or comment. Uh, to come off mute, um, if that's the, um, the case, I will prompt you to press star six. In your email is a link to our Google Doc. It's a shared online document for note-taking and questions. You can open that in your browser and follow along as we take notes. Orton's Caitlin uh, Davison will be busy taking uh, call notes on the doc. You can also add your own notes or questions to the document. It's a good idea to skim through those now to see what questions have already come in to avoid redundancy. If you have a question during the call, please enter it on that document. We hope you also share your wisdom, your comments, and examples by helping us answer questions that come up in the document. We will leave uh, the Google Doc up after the call and then send it around to participants so all the call notes will be available to you afterwards. Since the Google Doc can only handle about 50 people as active document editors at a time, in other words, people that are adding to it, if you aren't um, actively adding to the document with your questions or comments by using the edit button, please close out and reopen the doc in the read-only mode so other people can participate um, in that way. If you're having trouble with the Google Doc at any time during the call, just click the refresh icon and that should do it. So on to our guest, just a, a note, Mike Stout um, from Missouri State University is not able to be with us today, so we are thrilled to have Emily with us, and I will introduce her in more detail a little bit further down the line. But first up, we'll um, talk with Evan Weissman. He is the founding executive director of Warm Cookies of the Revolution, as I said, the world's first civic health club. During a decade as a company member of Buntport Theater Company, he experienced the organization, that organization, this theater company, grow into a nationally recognized cultural institution, winning over 80 awards for innovative productions and organizational structure. Bunport Theater Company built a thriving organizational model on the notion that collaboration is more efficient and sustainable than hierarchical structures, and that social innovation and affordability were crucial for community participation. That setup and that model was the guiding force behind the strategy of Warm Cookies of the Revolution, which he founded. Evan also teaches courses at Colorado College, where he earned a BA in political science. He has also been awarded with several leadership fellowships. Welcome, Evan. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Yeah, and, you know, be before you start with your little presentation uh, about um, the Civic Health Club, could you just give us a definition, your definition of civic health, and then and then you can move right on into your presentation. Yeah, uh, sounds perfect. Uh, and I might say even before that, um, I want to just thank you all for having me. And this format is one I'm new to and I think I really like because the, I can't see you all, but I'm imagining that this is the most beautiful crowd that I've ever spoken to. And uh, I, I want you all to Google the name Brad Pitt and just put that on your desktop, and you'll know that's about what I look like. Um, so, civic health, um, uh, we, we define it pretty loosely, pretty generally, broadly, um, and I'm sure that Emily can get into a, a, a more definitional term. But uh, basically think of civic health as how we engage, how engaged, how connected, how empowered 
how invested are people in the community, uh, specifically as citizens. And um, I, I think of that a little bit as opposed to as consumers. Uh, we all make choices as consumers, uh, and we act in that world where we shop or where we buy things. Um, but we also do that as uh, active citizens in the community. So the civic health of the community would be how connected are we together, what kind of foundation do we have, and uh, how much power do we feel like we have to influence and make decisions that, uh, that affect our lives. So tell us about – I love warm – well, one, you have to tell us why you came up with this wonderful name, and then uh, tell us all about it. Okay. Um, the name, uh, it, it has a couple different levels. On, on the one hand, uh, it's just silly. I, I really love warm cookies, and I want a revolution. Um, <laughs> and, and by that, I mean a, a revolution of values. Um, but there's also something else there about um, what kind of change do we want to make and who's involved in it and what will that look like. When you say revolution, it, it brings up notions of people with pitchforks and fire and, and violence. Um, and uh, I don't want people that I love and care about to be hurt um, in, in a revolution and changing things. Um, I want us all to have a say. And so I think um, to take away a little bit of that scary factor of revolution, uh, warm cookies are about as comforting as one can imagine. They harken back to childhood a little bit. And um, there are things that, um, that – there are also some bit of nourishment. I mean, not, not as much as broccoli maybe, but uh, – so what are the things that are going to keep us going, making this change, and, um, and and that we feel can be fun and light and interesting and keep us connected? So that's kind of the name. Um, I don't know if it's a good name or not, but that's that's what I did, and, and I'm sticking to it thus far. Um, and in terms of what it is and what we do, um, I conceptualize it as a civic health club. So like you, you go to a gym and you lift weights and uh or you know do yoga or whatever it might be that's your physical health you're working out and you might go to a spiritual institution or church or something and you work out your spiritual health um warm cookies is a place where we can work out our our civic health together um and so what we try to do uh, in a in the the 10 second version is we try to smash together fun events mixed with civic issues and the reason behind that is we uh, people don't want to be bored into submission. People's time is very precious. We work and work and work, and we raise families, and most people do not have a lot of extra time or money. And so the extra time and money that people do have, we normally spend it on what's necessary and then what's on fun. And um, – so if I were to ask you to come to a discussion on the city budget, most people would, would look at me with a blank stare. That sounds boring, and they don't have time. They'd rather do something else. Uh, so the challenge and the way that we approach things are, all right, how can I get someone to get a babysitter or to bring their children with them to want to come, knowing that there will be a discussion about the city budget, but there's going to be a fun thing that they're coming to do? Um, that's what we do in a nutshell, and the reason that we do it, we kind of start all of our programs with what do we want, what is it that we want. It's kind of a basic but uh, essential question, and there aren't many venues where we're asked to define that. So we say, what do we want, and then the programs consist of what's going on. And so we program with lots of other folks in the community um, to figure out what is going on. So that's either people who are working on very specific issues because we're pretty broad-based, um, or artists uh, and creative folks who are helping us with that side of things. And then the last bit, we try to end each of our programs saying, how do we get there? So what's the step you can take? You're interested in this, you're, you're upset, or you're interested, or you're happy. What can you do? Who can you uh, connect with? What steps can you take so that we are, are making that action piece? Um, and as we talk a little bit further, I can get into a lot more uh, examples. I can I can give you examples as to what we do. But that's the uh, that's the general premise. So that's great, Evan. I I think I can't resist but ask one one question, which is so as a result, does this help actually make things happen? And give me your favorite example of something that happened because of these gatherings. 
Sure. Um, I do. I do think it, it, it does work. Um, and I think it's good that on the call there's there, that you've, you've got myself and then uh, Emily because uh, I don't do much data. And I, I do the, the smallest amount necessary. And I know that a lot of people don't like that, but I just don't have a lot of time and energy for it because um, the, the change that we are seeing is, is, is a little hard um, to measure. But, um, but it's essential cultural changes, I think. Um, and, you know, I'll give you just two recent examples um, of, of things. These are anecdotal, but I think that they're, they, they show a little bit of promise in terms of spurring people on civically. Uh, we do a, <clears throat> a intergenerational show-and-tell mixtape, and we've done that a few different times. It's where people get together. You bring in a song um, that, uh, depending on the theme, represents you and your generation, or you bring in an, an object like show-and-tell when you were a kid that somehow represents, that can allow you to tell a story about your perspective. So we've done it on, on um, a few different topics. The latest one was on uh, civil rights, and the one before that was on uh, LGBTQ life. And at that one, we had a, um, a young woman, she was in seventh grade, and she came, and uh, in our little small group, after we sort of broke out into these small groups, she, with six other people, I was in there as well, strangers to her, she came out for the first time, and she she was t- talking about um, life at home with her grandma and how it's been really hard and how, how much she really um, she really loves this girl in her class, and you know, teenage love is is the deepest love, and so it was. She was really feeling it, and uh, but it was powerful. It was very powerful that that space was there. And then the second, um, the second anecdote I'd let you know is um, uh, we we did a, one of our programs where we invite everyone to to build a Lego city together, and we talk about what we want, uh, what our ideal forms of government are, and how they would work. And um, a woman came in afterwards. She she wanted to meet with me. And she came and she said that she was inspired. And uh, outside of her house, she lives by a park, there's um, all these drug deals. And she says she just she doesn't like it. And so she went to every house within a block of the park and has organized the first of five neighborhood meetings just to see if anyone else cares. And if not, what do they care about? So I think that those are, those are pretty good examples of both the space that we're creating but also um, the ways that people can act individually um, and not to mention – all the different groups that people have um, gotten involved with that are doing things collectively. Terrific, Evan. Thank you so much. It's 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 a wonderful program, it seems. Or I don't even know if you can call it a program. It's a movement. <laughs> there <Revolution>. you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Well, we'll we will we will move on to get the other side about um how how this all of this kind of stuff can can be measured. Our original guest, Mike Stout, um is associate professor of sociology and director of Missouri State University Center for Community Engagement. He's not able to be with us today, um but we will be introduced to his work through a colleague of his. His contact information is on the Google Doc, so you are welcome to contact him after this call. In collaboration with the National Conference on Citizenship and others, Stout produced the Missouri Civic Health Index. He also leads an ongoing project that tracks levels of social capital and civic engagement in southwest Missouri. He has developed keen insights into ways to use data to inform the public discourse on civic health, and his graduate assistant, Emily, will take us through that. So Emily Keeney is a graduate assistant at MSU's Center for for Community Engagement. She is pursuing a master's in health administration. Emily advises service learning students, assists in community-based research, and helps coordinate the university's community engagement activities, and is clearly um, somebody that Mike counts on and trusts. So welcome, Emily. Great. Thank you for having me. And um, also, I will offer my apologies for Mike Stout for not being here today, but I'm excited to um, dive deeper into this. Uh, Evan gave a great definition uh, for civic engagement. While through our research, we kind of focus um, a lot on the data of the civic health. So another kind of to add to Evan's definition, uh, we break down civic engagement into two dimensions. And of those dimensions, we have the political and non-political. So an example of some political dimensions of of civic engagement 
could be voting, protesting something, maybe boycotting or writing letters to elected officials. And then there's the non-political dimension, uh, which focuses on the volunteerism in our community, working on community-based projects, uh, maybe offering to help your neighbor fix a problem. So we kind of break civic engagement down into those two dimensions, and that kind of helps us with gathering our research and uh, creating the Civic Health Index. So I'll kind of start how we got um, to the Civic Health Index, why we thought it was an issue that needed to be addressed. I am located in Springfield, Missouri, and in Springfield we have a community focus report which this identifies the strengths and the weaknesses of various sectors in our community. Um, and through this community-focused report, um, we can recognize uh, the problems that are going on and that can guide us towards initiatives and decision-making in our community. So Mike Stout just moved to Springfield um, in the mid-2000s and he had just finished his dissertation on civic health and community engagement. And he read this community-focused report. And it, off, it said that our civic engagement was a strength in our community, yet it didn't offer any empirical research. It kind of just hit on, oh, we have some volunteerism going on, we're doing good. It didn't offer any empirical data as to what this civic engagement, um, civic health, really means to our community and how we're really acting it out. So we went on to create the 2013 Civic Health Index. We did this through federal census data. Uh, we partnered with other universities around Missouri, um, in St. Louis and Kansas City specifically. And this uh, Civic Health Report came out and it mostly hit on the civic engagement in these two metropolitan areas of Missouri. So we were left thinking now, what about places like maybe Springfield that aren't as large as Kansas City and St. Louis, but we still have a booming economy. But what about these rural areas? So that takes us to where we are today, and we are starting the process to create the 2015 Civic Health Index, and with this, we are going to include local data uh, to go along with the Kansas City, St. Louis metropolitan area, um, and through collecting this local data, we uh, are going to focus on the 19 councils of government that we have here in Missouri. We are going to uh, seek advice and help with creating this report through community development specialists who are at a local level. So we're going to kind of encompass all aspects of Missouri now in this new Civic Health Index, and I can go on into more detail a little later on about uh, what we've seen and what has come from our Civic Health Index. But this is kind of the groundwork that we've done in creating these Civic Health Indexes, and they're important for us because they can help us understand the dynamics of our social capital in our civic engagement so that we can create policies and start programs that can facilitate and strengthen our democracy and improve our civic health. So, Emily, before we get to the questions that have come in, why don't you um, tell us what, what kind of information did you find? I mean, did you find that civic health was indeed healthy? Um, what what were some of the discoveries um, in the original index? Yes, yeah, so in this 2013 index, we broke it down demographically by gender, socioeconomic status, education, and age. And while this, and this is for Springfield, Missouri, um, and um, all around Missouri also, that we found that there was a lack of trust um, within the governments for the lower socioeconomic status individuals. So that's something that we're really focusing on moving forward as um, I work for the Center for Community Engagement. So what can we do to help maybe these uh, lower socioeconomic 
status individuals feel this reciprocity of trust between their government um, and local officials and leadership because without that, they, they don't feel empowered. You know, that's why our voter turnout rate it has been so low recently um, is people feel that they're not making a difference. So through this data, we can see areas that um, need more focus on so that people can feel more empowered to make it that what they are doing is going to make a difference in their community. So just one more follow-up and then we'll kind of go back and forth, but um, Megan from Virginia almost asked specifically this, this very question. She says, you know, how do you uh, suggest adopting approaches when trying to improve participation in low-income communities or communities that have traditionally been marginalized from decision-making? Do you, do you have some solutions you've thought of? And I, I also want, want to open this up to Evan um, after you answer this. So clearly this is a focus of yours now because of the data that you collected. Um, are there suggestions that you're, you're finding, you're coming up with? Yeah, and this is kind of um, an anecdotal experience of um, what we have done with this uh, information that we've learned is how we saw this need for engagement in these low-income areas. So through this, we started the Neighbor for Neighbor project, which um, works with two low-income communities um, in our area. We did this specifically um, in Springfield, kind of a pilot project. So with the Neighbor for Neighbor, we are trying to bridge that gap, and we have face challenges of getting these um, community members involved because, like I said, they, they, there's no process um, for engaging them. So we want to create that process. So through the Neighbor for Neighbor, we started more community events. We started a community garden, neighborhood night outs that community members could come together. And while they're fun, they can also talk about some issues that are going on in their community. And ways that we use to engage these members of the community is to have some key stakeholders recruit those in their neighborhood. And when I say key stakeholders, I mean maybe they're the president of their neighborhood association or someone that those in, um, those in their communities feel they can look up to versus having maybe an academic like Mike Stout who maybe can't relate come in and they want to feel um, with trust and comfortable within their network to sure. move on. Um, and so this Neighbor for Neighborhood project um, has really helped bridge that gap because, like I said, um, the community garden, they are working together. And it's uh, so far it's been challenging, but it's moving in the right direction. Great. And just uh, quickly, Emily Miles had a clarifying question, and I'm not sure if you if if your index has the answer to this, but he was he's wondering whether the government distrust um, coming from lower income people is distrust of staff or elected officials in government. Do you have a sense of that? Um, I know I don't have a sense of that, but. Um, we do have Mike Stout's information on the Google Doc, um, and an email would be a great way to contact him. Um, I don't want to give an answer that <laughs> I'm not informed of. Okay. Well, we'll we'll follow up with with that. Um, Evan, um, have you worked with low income communities? Yeah, definitely. So our um, I, I, I thought of a, a few things here. Um, one is uh, we Colorado actually just recently did a Colorado Civic Health Index, and um, we were a part of sort of a dissemination part of that after it came out. How do we how do we get people to, to re reactions to it? Um, and one of the important things there was there were there were actually a lot of rosy things about um, Colorado, um, but they were it, it really would depend on where you live, um, and so that was one of the things is let's let people in different communities uh, react to this. That might be the best way to uh to get their input. Um so anyways, I, I think the the civic index uh is a is a great thing. Um uh in terms of um what we do and and how and with with communities that have been underrepresented uh, underrepresented or um continually are low income, uh communities of color, youth, 
um, uh, senior citizens, um, folks with disabilities. We uh, we actually try to do most of our programs are, are aimed at um, uh, being inclusive as much as possible. Um, and one of the ways in which we try to do it is um, we don't really program much of anything without people who are most closely um, uh, directed by whatever it is. So whether that be the issue or that be the the method, the sort of fun thing that we're doing. Um, and so that, that leads me to a couple things, which are if you want to engage uh, folks, uh, low-income folks or youth or people of color, um, I think it's essential from the beginning of whatever you're doing to – uh, include these folks in in the planning process, um, and uh, and I I think also on a deeper level um, there has to be a relationship. So um, it can't even be sort of a, a tokenized version of that, um, which happens sometimes where um, it, it maybe it's just reflected with people on on a panel or something like this. So um, the ways in which we we do that is when we program anything um, we. We reach out to whoever it is that is working on that issue or that community um, to help us plan it. Um, right. And uh, and I, I think, but the, the other piece um, that I was saying about already having the relationship and or building that relationship, that's the piece that is kind of more essential um, to, to to kind of foster. Um, so it, it's a it's a long term view, but I think that the changes. Um, that ultimately will be reflected on a civic health index are, or in laws are usually um, pretty far down the line. Um, once a law is, is up for consideration to be changed, the culture has most likely already changed. And so if you're wanting to be involved in changing the culture, um, it, it, has to start, it has to start early and often. And with, as Emily was saying, with those key stakeholders – who are part of that community. Yes, uh, specifically. And, I mean, you know, it's on both sides of these. And I think one of the questions, I don't have it in front of me now, but one of the questions was, you know, how do you get people involved? How do you how do you kind of start the process and get folks engaged? And um, the, this is obviously the approach that I use, but I, I recommend it to anyone. Um, I think you have to use artists and creative people. Um, the, solu- the solutions that we have out there, uh, you know, politicians are people who really want, usually want to make change and are trying hard to do it, um, and uh, other legislators and bureaucrats and staff and people working in nonprofit organizations and activists, these are all people who care. Um, if if it's working, then it's working. But if it's not and you're wanting to get new people and think about things differently, um, you, I think involving artists and creative people from the get-go, is going to uh, approach a subject from a different angle. And most likely, uh, especially when you're talking about younger people, um, and oftentimes, uh, it depends on the community, but uh, oftentimes different underrepresented communities, um, you're going to have more luck getting people out if you have people who who know how to move crowds and move people there, which are um, creative, artistic folks. So give me an example. Like what was an event that that really worked where you engaged an artist to engage the community? Yeah. Um we it's pretty much most of ours in some way. Um so um uh, well I mentioned the the city budget before so I'll stick on sort of uh on nerd town there. Uh on April 15th tax day is a, is a national day of mourning. No one likes it. It's the worst day. Everyone's all mad. But then people who who are involved in politics and budgeting understand, no, 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 it's very important. Uh, this is, you know, this is how we get our roads paved and our water. And, but giving that lecture to most people, it still doesn't work. So uh, we decided to flip it and say, hey, let's let's throw a carnival. Let's throw a um, let's let's have a carnival and and celebrate that we're making these moral choices, um, regardless of what they are. If you don't want to fund anything, great, come out and celebrate that. If you want to fund everything, great come out and celebrate it. And so we had uh we had a, a magician, we had a stilt walker, we had a belly dancer, we had face painters, we had uh jugglers, we had all sorts of carnival things. And then um 
so those are the performers. But then we also tapped the creativity in lots of the organizations who work in the budgetary world. Uh, because, you know, just because you work at a more boring-sounding place doesn't mean you're a boring person. And we said, look, you can come, but you can't just come and table and tell people, you know, either how you get funds from taxes or, or your opinion on how tax policy should work. You, If you want to tell people that, you have to come up with a carnival game. So uh-huh. they were the games, and and, uh, and so you'd come and do a ring toss and, and learn about, um, you know, some budgetary thing, or you'd do a, a little poll, a penny poll, or where you want your tax money to go. So that's that's one example. Um, uh, other examples would be um, we've had uh, the the one I mentioned before, the Lego uh, one. We actually get comedians, so we everyone comes and builds this Lego city together, which is a lot of fun. And then we usually have three folks um, pitch their ideal form of government, uh, and then we have a lightning round where anyone can pitch th- their idea or some way they've affected government. But we we also have comedians um, come and and just do their sets, um, and they can relate it to community health or civic health or government, or just or it's just fun. Um, so we've done that. We've engaged architects uh, when we we ask people to design. Uh, look at let's look at the design of our cities, and you can look at whether it's bike lanes or low income housing, or how to deal with a homeless uh, uh, the homeless population, or um, environmentally friendly, whatever it might be. Uh, we worked with with architects, and we we had people, we built an obstacle course um, that everyone could come and participate in, um, and we had different challenges, and we would take away pieces, and, and um, so so we had, we were using their creative output. Jeez, um, uh, there, there's there's more and more. <laughs> yeah, so, so it sounds like there's fun, but it's balanced with some real information, and, and do you also try to have a takeaway by the end of the evening? These are some issues people are really interested in or these are some actions people can take or is it just kind of getting people engaged and talking um both depending on uh so last night we had a an event with robots um it's a this was the second time we've done this called um stupid questions and stupid talents and the first time the stupid question was where does our poop go when we flush which is a that's a good question and it's a stupid question so we looked at it, and once we uh, and so we had someone from Denver uh, Wastewater Management come, and we also had some folks from Water for People who do uh, water and waste issues around the world. So they came and you know let us know what was happening, and we thought, wow, that's that's magic. It's basically magic. And so we had this mentalist magician come, um, and we also had people do their own little talents. So last night we had another stupid questions and stupid talents, and this was the question was, will robots really fix slash destroy everything? Because those are the two scenarios when you think of robots. And we had what we were looking at was how is technology affecting labor? And so we had all sorts of robots there. We had a, a drone that um, farmers use, and we had a couple high school teams that do these robotics things, and then we had a library there and 3D printers and you know all sorts of these different robots. And and then we had um, folks from different labor unions and uh, folks who make different apps and have these mobile apps. Um, and then we had a, someone who works with on a malaria vaccine, and they're trying to make a robot that will take the place of humans who are extracting malaria out of these mosquitoes by hand. So we looked at what, how does this affect our economy? How, where are jobs going to be in the future? Um, is this a good thing? Is it good that these, you know, and that's just what's happening here in Denver. We have lots of these yeah. app things. So anyways, that, uh, that for your question of is there a takeaway, last night there aren't really many organizations working on uh, the effect of robots on an economy, but there are groups that work on labor issues, that work on tech issues, and so we do um, we do let people know, hey, here's who you can get involved with. Wow. That's very, very creative. Um, before we move on to the other questions that have come in, um, Emily, I'm not sure if you if you have some, some thoughts. I know you talked about low income. Do you have any additional advice um, for Anonymous from New York about engaging youth or community communities of color, or is it, it, it's a, kind of the same um, finding key stakeholders? Is there is there anything different you would do around engaging youth or communities of color? Um, well, something specifically that we've done here at Missouri State um, 
for engaging um, the 21 to 25, I think that was one of the questions, population. Um, obviously, we're in Missouri. The Ferguson issue is a hot topic right now. Sure. And at the beginning of this semester for the school year, we said, you know, we need to discuss this topic with the students because we want to have these conversations, create a comfortable dialogue so that students can discuss this. So what we did was we as a university, as a center for community engagement, we just facilitated spaces and information and anything that the students wanted. So we started off by having these big boards in the front of our student center. And students could come up um, with, with a post-it note and on one board, they, they wrote something down and said how they feel about the, how this is um, this issue and what they want to discuss, what they think they need to do as community members. Hmm. So through these boards that filled up with the students' opinions, we facilitated these student-driven conversations. So, like I said, um, they started, I think there was about eight um, conversations, forums, if you want to call it, that happened throughout the semester that they were completely student-led. And as, um, you know, professionals in working with civic health and uh, community engagement, we provided them the space, the educational information, and we left it up to them to go on with this um, to talk about these issues. So that was something that we did that the students really liked being able to talk and being able to discuss issues that were going on without having their professors grading them on what they were saying or without sure. having listened to a lecture. So it really, um, the students really responded well to it by identifying their own priorities and we gave them the opportunity to do that. Great. So th thank you so much for, for all of those very creative ideas. Um, I'll get on to a few other of the questions. Um, Trish from, I think it's Trish from up in uh, the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. And I, it's interesting, to, This part of this question is, is, does this really belong here? What, she says, what suggestions do you have for age-friendly improvements in communities? that provide incentives and motivation for participation in healthy activities. Now, whether, you know, civic health and healthy activities or having a healthy town could be seen as something different, or it could be um, they, they, they could find a meeting. Uh, Evan, do you want to take a stab at that about um, kind of Trisha's question really probably is for older folks. Um, and wanting them to get outside and do some healthy activities, uh, can you combine that with um, with civic health? Uh, I I think the connections are 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 strong. I mean, I think our 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 physical health and our civic health are 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 linked completely. Um, so in terms of um, you know, one of the things is. Uh, so what's real hip these days is, is uh, food, food stuff, you know, gluten-free, vegan, don't eat this, eat that, organic, garden, you should all garden, that kind of thing. And it, it's it's lovely, it's wonderful, and there's lots of complications with it, too, of food deserts and, and food justice and who's who has access, and I get all that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't – I'm not good at it, and I don't like it, is the truth. Um, and I love that I have lots of friends that are and do. Um but it's in, it's essential. It's it's important. But the thing is, is if we're all supposed to garden and grow our own food, uh, that takes a lot of time. So the the question then becomes, um, it's more a question of how are we spending our time? You know, where's our allegiance there? And so that is, there are definite civic issues. And when you talk about food in schools too, we want to provide healthy food for kids. Um, we're getting into very political issues. So I think the connection to our health is is clear. Um, in terms of the, if the question, if I understood it correctly, it was what are age-friendly? Um, yeah, and actually, Trish is. I, I think Trish is on the call. If you can just hold a minute, maybe Trish can ask you more directly. Trish, if you just press star six, 
you can come on and explain uh, what you're um, what you're interested in to Evan. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, Evan. If you want to no continue no, with your sentence, but oh, no, are you I, there? I'd love to hear. Yeah. Yep, I'm here. Um, thanks, Bran. Um, yeah, basically, again, and I may have misunderstood, you know, when I was reading Civic Health, but I, I agree with you, Evan, that there is a connection, and that you know, it's um, it it is. Um, it's connected because it's part of the community and then and that's part of it but i i think you know what what i was looking for is um again what we're looking at is you know is the participation point and i think you know i really like your um um sharing experience um arts based because it's tactile and it also is intergenerational so when we're looking at age friendly it's not just for 50 plus but it is you know being aware of the intergenerational um, connection so um, that's basically what we're looking at though is how do we get you know um, more people because it does affect the well-being um, and um, Emily was talking earlier about community gardens. You know, we, we've experienced that as well. So I was having, of course, posed the question before listening to you. That was where I was coming from. Yeah, I think um, I, Thank you. I think that uh, in terms of um, getting things intergenerationally, I mean, that, that's one of, the, one of the ways that we've been successful. I'm, I could list deficits for, for hours, but uh, one of the ways we've been successful is we get a lot of people who typically probably aren't in having discussions like we do or, or, or coming to programs. Uh, the program I mentioned last night, I mean, we had, we, we had probably, oh, 100 people there last night, and it was extremely intergenerational. And having those conversations, it's a really wonderful thing. Um, and so I think if you if you put a lot of effort into doing one program like that, most people are going to enjoy it. Is the truth? Uh, it, it, it's cool to hear from from older folks in the community and from younger folks in the community. Um, and in terms of strategies and ways to do it, uh, I, I give the same answer from before. Um, if if you know who you want to get there, then you should go to them what, to program it to see what they're interested in, what the topics are, and also folks in your community who have the ability to uh who who have followings and who have ways of getting people or can just think creatively and act creatively get them involved in the planning process and um i also think depending on where you are i mean i'm working in a in a city realm so i'm sure the challenges are different um depending on where you are um but there's also more benefit maybe if you're in a smaller more closed community the there isn't as much competition um for for time and energy there isn't a there isn't a comedy show every night or a band playing so um yeah so i you, the ways that we've done it are you know like i said we either do it explicitly like the intergenerational show and tell mixtape um and we we ask people and organizations to come intergenerationally or we just do things that maybe different generations will will, will enjoy like um we have a civic stitch and bitch where people come and you bring your knitting or your crocheting or your doodling or whatever occupies your hand, and we just talk about different civic issues. Um, that that's, can be probably for any age, um, as well as this is a little bit more – it's tend to be younger, but we meet uh, in, in sports bars but also just in other places and watch sports, and we have discussions about sports and civic issues at halftime. Um, and so, that, you know, there's lots of folks who are interested in that. But you, you would just need to know who you're who you're trying to get. Yeah, I think um, this relates to uh, somebody from Florida is interested in, you know, how do you think outside of the box um, uh, for regular but important community conversations. Certainly, this this speaks right to that. And um, I'm I'm going to go back to Emily about. Um, specific and measurable outcomes. I think that's an interesting question. And then we're going to come back to a very interesting question that just came in um, that's, that's more about engagement but very unusual groups. So we're going to come back to that. But I thought we, we'd go back to data for a second with a question from Bernadette from Massachusetts. She asked, are there specific and measurable outcomes that result from the work of building stronger part civic participation? 
what kind of impacts are you seeing and, and how do you track them? So I, I guess this is, you know, what kinds of questions are you asking and a, a little bit more on specific and measurable outcomes, Emily. Uh, yeah, and um, going back to the last question, something that we've, um, on how to get people engaged, mm -hmm. um, if it's okay if I kind of hit on that for a minute. Sure. Um, something that we have found to be really beneficial is a big buzzword right now is social media. You know, everywhere you go, it's like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And so we have really capitalized on this buzz. I mean, people of all generations are adopting these methods of social media. So I know we provided the links to um, the Center for Community Engagement here in Springfield on the Google Doc, our Facebook page, and our Twitter page that kind of maybe gives some examples of these topics that we're discussing or maybe more specific here, some events that are going on. But it's a way for people to be engaged right at the tips of their fingers. So I thought we, we had really um, found it to be a very successful way to start these conversations and get the word out for engagement, with both are, which both are beneficial in this process. Um, and now moving on to these measurable outcomes. Um, through this data, we um, did set a lot of research on the political participation, like I talked about earlier. Um, we really wanted to know a lot about um, the those who are involved in voting. We did the relationship between those who are volunteering and um, those with their political engagement as well, those who are registered to vote, those who may be contacted an elected public official. Um, those are kind of some of the political, um, as I talked, or electoral participation that I talked about. Um, and some other things that we hit on a lot was their confidence and trust within their public schools, um, within the media, within corporations in our community, um, and some outcomes that came from all of our research that we did. And our Civic Health Report is on the National Conference of Citizenship website, um, if anybody wants Great. to look specifically at that. Um, and so through this data, um, the Civic Health um, data for here in Springfield, they wanted to focus a lot on this lack of trust within the government. So we create, um, in Springfield, they created the Public Information Center, which an elected official is on, um, works with this Public Information Center. And it's kind of a one-stop shop that community members and citizens can go and learn about resources and learn about events and forums and issues and topics that are going on within our community. So this Public Information Center um, is something that was derived from this data. Um, also with our long range plan in the community focus report that I kind of hit on earlier, um, we brought in members of the community to help make these reports. Instead of just having public officials, those who are working for agencies, we recruited um, Two, over 200 community members were included in creating this process for our community focus report. And on this report, um, we kind of focused on how we could increase civic engagement and themes that could revolve around that. Also, another outcome was we, since our civic health report uh, back in 2013, 30 to 40 forums have resulted about these, um, talking about different topics that are going on. Um, one of the forums that we just had um, was for the midterm elections. We held several forums, um, not debates, just forums that community members could come and ask questions. So getting them involved in the process and, and issues within our community. So, so clearly, it's not just the index. You, you've taken action from that um, from that information and, and moved forward. Uh, I'd, I'd like to go to uh, another question that, that came in recently. It's kind of back to civic engagement, but um, I think both of you can probably have some thoughts about this. 
do you have any, this is from uh, Becca in Vermont, uh, do you have any advice on reaching more traditional or conservative demographics that might find all of this a bit fluffy or liberal? Uh, she is launching into a new program in Vermont called Community Resilience Organizations that is specifically designed to engage unlikely groups like road crews, fire and emergency departments, social services, and conservation groups in working together on resilience, climate adaptation, and community building. So they're interested in how to get some of these more unlikely suspects to to buy in, get together, and um, and make some decisions, clearly. Um. Emily, do you want to go first? Or? Sure. Um, this uh, question kind of reminds me of a TED Talk that um, I can provide the information for for everyone. But this TED Talk talks about how we stick within our networks and um, we focus on those who we communicate with the most, and it's harder to break out of those groups and move on to the next group. So um, I think that something like that we have done with the Neighbor for Neighbor Association, while it's not as specific as um, the groups that she's looking for, but that by engaging someone like a key stakeholder within that group, so someone that they, those in the group can feel they have trust and feel comfortable with, if that person can provide them this information, then they might be more likely to move forward because uh, it's a reciprocal uh, relationship. Hmm. Great. Evan, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I might say um, a couple things. One, it's the, the same answer I'll always say, which is um, go to them and uh, and see what they might be interested in uh, and, and ask them how they you could reach other folks. But... Um, uh, I, I also think, and this this may be this may be controversial. Cover cover the children's ears. Um, I think that um, you know we've we've done things. You know we've uh, reached out kind of a lot to um, to different groups and organizations that have more of a conservative bent. And I'm in Central Denver, which is a sort of moderate to liberal. Uh, you know, sort of a it's a Democrat capital D bastion. Um, but uh, I've reached out to um, to conservative groups, um, and we've had conservative folks on our panels, and there are some conservatives that come. Um, but what what I do think, and I I think this is I I think this is I don't know it's been correct in my uh, experience. If you label something as um, talking about how you want things to change, which is basically where we're normally at. Uh, we want to change violent institutions or the isms that are going on. Um, that doesn't attract folks who are generally okay with the status quo, um, or, or, yeah. And and so, um, so I, I think you're right to think that this might sound a little, a little off the, those charts because in some ways they are. However. Um, there, we all have shared values, so the people you were talking about and the things that were um, that you're wanting to work on, um, I think once you talk with them about what they'd want to do, it, it would be just in terms of figuring out what their interest is in it. So if it's not changing the system, if, um, or maybe it's changing it in a more conservative direction, um, it's you know I, I guess getting them involved, but. Uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't exactly know um, the, the best way to do that because uh, beyond just getting them involved sort of from the start. Um, so common theme rather than let's all get together and party and we'll maybe talk about things. Yeah, if you want to deal with the, you know, it might just be get, let them know what it is. I mean, some things, sometimes too, people people don't need the party. Um, we just do it because we're trying to get people who aren't engaged, but if they're folks who already are, you don't need the party as much. But uh, there's another tack, uh, and, you know, decide if you want to do it or not, is to, to do something more provocative. Um, say say something more provocative, you know, have the title be more provocative or deal with a provocative issue. That, that tends to get 
um, if if you're dealing with something that has sort of two sides, that tends to get people out. But you maybe will get just the crazies out. But um, <laughs> but no, I do think I do think um, there are instances. You know, when we want to do something, when we don't want to have to create an entire you know circus, uh, we have a program called Sunday School for Atheists, and this is this is basically saying, hey, you know, for all you folks that either aren't interested in religion or you're a recovering Catholic or whatever you, however you might say, it doesn't matter. We have to talk about moral issues as a community. And, and we talk about important stuff, you know, how to welcome prisoners back into the community and what does it mean to kill uh, and how do we help veterans, um, uh, housing issues, affordable housing. So um, obedience, forgiveness, we talk about forgiveness. So, I mean, I think you can also just just do it. So if there are these groups that you're going after that maybe are more conservative, um, uh, I think once you talk with them, you can also just just say what it is. Uh, there there is a fair amount of people who are fine with that, um, especially if they're sort of already enfranchised in in, in power structures. Right, and and resilience is a pretty powerful issue, especially if there ha- there have been uh, climate issues before, so they can rally around that. We're we're we're. Um, almost out of time, but just quickly about both what you have done, Civic Health Index, um, how many people are doing this? Um, clearly, this is probably something you would recommend, Emily, um, but are, are, is this happening in a lot of places, and, and do you think it's uh, helpful? Yes, it, um, it's definitely something that we have found um, that's come a lot of benefits from this, and we're working with universities all throughout the state of Missouri, so it's starting those conversations everywhere in Missouri, which I um, have found to be really beneficial um, in creating this process. Great. And and Evan, um, are other people opening up uh, health clubs, a civic health clubs, that is, to uh, to kind of get their civic muscles working a little bit more? Well, you know, we've been contacted by all sorts of different communities, and uh, we we haven't we haven't done anything. I say I say go forth and prosper. Um, but uh, once you know, I, I would love to I would love to open these up in in uh, in lots of different places. Um, we're not really there yet, um, okay. but there are there's an appetite for it for sure. Terrific. And and finally, one last question. What's what's one thing that you would suggest people can do to take action or get started to build civic health um, or even build a, a civic health index um, uh, within the next couple of weeks? Emily? Yeah, there's a lot of information um, available. The National Conference on Citizenship, which I discussed earlier, provides um, a lot of information about civic health indexes that are going on around the nation. So I think that that would be a great starting point into where you begin. Also, we have the Center for Community Engagement here in Springfield. Uh, Evan with the Warm Cookies, I'm sure there are these agencies all throughout the nation contacting those agencies, finding out what they have to offer, what you can do for them. Um, I think that that's a great starting point is making those connections with the agencies that are available. Okay, terrific. And Evan, uh, how would you get people started in in doing something like you're doing in Denver? Oh, I'd say uh, uh, go check out any, any, any creative folks that you know and talk with them about it. And um, and then any issue that maybe you're unfamiliar with or a population in your in your community that is uh, somehow marginalized or um, or doesn't feel like they maybe have power or uh, and and get these folks together and come up with something collectively that can engage a broad uh, broad base of folks and I'd say think of something fun one one if you're asking for a quick easy way. Get a Monopoly board, ask, ask people to bring Monopoly, play, and change a few rules to make it more realistic. And you'll start seeing people will have different ideas of what realistic is when you start changing rules to Monopoly. Thanks. Thank thank you both so much. You know, I see I, I did miss one question, which was about how to support businesses, entrepreneurs, and many businesses. Um, it's kind of a different topic, but I think um, kind of seeing the Civic Health I- Index, seeing what's going on there, and getting people involved and together, uh, maybe a business can help sponsor one of these things. Do you have partnerships with businesses at all, Evan? 
um, we've had businesses um, help us in uh, or be part of our programs, but we don't have any business sponsorships as of yet. Gotcha. Well, it, we are out of time. I want to thank you, Evan Weissman, for your insights and knowledge. Thank you very much. This was great. And and Emily Keeney, thank you for your great tips and for stepping in for Mike. Oh, you're welcome. And I'd like to thank uh, Trish and everybody else who participated today and listened in. Uh, for more resources, please check out the Google Doc. Uh, we've got things online or add to the conversation. We always, um, this is a community effort, and everything that you can add to that will, will make a difference. We... Um, so a podcast of this call and the call notes will be emailed around and posted online for those colleagues that might have missed this. We do uh, hope that you will continue to, to send these out to your colleagues so everybody can take advantage of this expertise and the good conversation we had today. Caitlin is, um, has put a link of a very brief survey, I think, at the top. She usually does that of the Google Doc in the announcements section. So if you take a moment to complete that survey and tell us about your experience of today's calls, it will help us learn how to make our series more useful to you. Our next Community Matters call will be in January. We're taking a little holiday break in December, but stay tuned for our 2015 calendar of events. Thank you all for participating, and good luck with your civic health projects. We hope you join us again in 2015. I'm Fran Stoddard for the Orton Family Foundation. Bye-bye. Have a good holiday.